broadcasting from an undisclosed location, from a secret hunting spot known only to him, and the guy who told him about it, and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics. It's another week of The Hunting Show. I'm your host, Stephen Spargo. I finally did something that I've been planning for a little while. Well, when I say a little while, a couple of years, it's been kicking around the old skull. And look, the the studio I'm in right now is a room that sits off the back of the garage. It's, it is, its sole purpose is to be my studio and kind of where I fix the odd bit of electronics and muck around. And uh, there's a couple of radio stations actually that are hosted out of here. Oh, there's transmission gear and all sorts of things. Uh, in fact, one of them's got a noisy fan. You may be able to hear it in the background from time to time. But the shed doesn't fit the truck in it. Two reasons. Truck is large. Shed isn't that large. Second reason, there's all kinds of stuff in there. There's generators. There's equipment for the events that we do sometimes. So I'm I'm kind of low in space. But there's enough space to do something. So I decided I would build a theatre in there. Not a serious theatre. This is just... Man cave, want to watch a movie in the shed. <laughs> Not that kind of movie. Just a movie. Star Wars, probably. So I did it. Put the speakers up. Had some there. A little bit of a home theater amp. Projector screen. Very, very cool. I've watched two movies out here so far. Star Wars Episode 2. <laughs> and I feel embarrassed saying it. And The Karate Kid. There's my two movies. This week's interview is with Gary Johnson. Gary is a writer, he's an adventurer, he's a limit pusher, and he joins me by telephone, fresh out of the hills. How are you, Gary? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks, Stephen. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me on the show, mate. Oh, look, it's not a problem. Gary, first of all, who are you? <laughs> and and uh, tell us a little bit, about, first of all, your hunting background, but just your background in general. Oh, I guess even um, a background in general, really, all my life, um, I've been involved in um, actually probably, which is is, is, is is not a great admission, a lot of solo type sports, um, which started, you know, as a kid, um, fly fishing, learning to tie flies in the local streams um, around where I live in Wellington, <clears throat> and then um, progressing to uh, cycling, where, you know, then that's a, a pretty lonesome sport, riding kind of mm. every night after work. And um, and that kind of got me into the New Zealand junior cycling team, and then I went into the New Zealand senior cycling road team, and and um, and uh, really, I guess a whole lot of that stuff was all about uh, yeah pushing the limits, mate. Just tell us a bit about that cycling, about what you did in that sport, and 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 we, how far you went in that arena. Oh, okay. Um, you know, on cycling, it was, it was a pretty kind of, um, actually, and, and when I kind of reflect back on it, uh, it seems all very logical now, in that um, uh, it was a fairly rapid rise. I, I just seem to, whenever I pedaled a bike, I seem to go faster than um, <laughs> other people. And, um, and yeah, that just kind of took me to, to winning a few local bike races, to winning a few national championships, and, and then, you know, as I mentioned, um, you know, getting selected to represent the country. The only thing was, um, and I think now when I reflect, Stephen, um, uh, my body really couldn't catch up because um, come the 84 uh, Olympics, and I was in the Olympic squad, 
my um my tendon uh, basically blew up and I had to get an operation on my knee. So mm. that kind of um that uh, that stopped my cycling career pretty quick. Nineteen eighty four. Yeah, that was a wee while ago, mate. Jeez. I'm I'm, um, I'm getting old now, bro. Oh, I know. Do, do you know that nineteen eighty four? I wasn't at school yet. <laughs> oh, thanks for that, Stephen. <laughs> I, I just sorry I couldn't resist when you said nineteen eighty four. It's like because I, I obviously I googled you before this interview. I didn't realise nineteen eighty four. Okay, Stephen. Let's move on to another subject. <laughs> Not a problem, mate. Look, that that actually goes very well into something that I know you're very passionate about, and it's something that I touched on a recent article in NZ Outdoor magazine, and that was hunting and fitness and how those two things go together. Yeah, well, uh, you know, and it, and it's just my opinion, right? Um, and you know, there'd probably be a few people that might turn their turn their noses up to to, to my opinion, and 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 they're welcome to do that. But really. Um, you know, if for me, if you really want to um, really shake the sport of hunting out and go far and go wide and fly camp in some little alpine pass and stuff, mm. um, you're so much safer if you've got not only the cardio to get there because the next morning you can get up and really enjoy it because you, you know, you, you've recovered, um, but also just the, just the, having the leg strength um, so that you can you can hop the boulders uh, with your pack on. You can you can save yourself. You can you've got the arm strength and the core muscles to keep your balance when uh, the going gets rough. Um, because if you don't have that, that's okay. But uh, you become a liability if you want to kind of go too far and you haven't got the capability to match it. Extending that further, though, I think that there's other thing, there's other benefits. There's things like if you're breathing heavier, you're making more smell. If you're if you're really struggling and and you're putting all that out there, you're not as good a hunter. But also, you're not enjoying yourself. Yeah, I don't know so much about the smell thing, but but certainly, um, uh, I, I think you know if if you're recovered, um, and it, it just it just allows more time to concentrate on on the game. Um, you know, you, you know, if we just go back to our um, archaic conversation a minute ago about how old I am. Um, Sorry, about you know, that. <laughs> if you're getting if you're getting if you're getting tired on your bike, you're more likely to um to just make a, a a poor judgment call and touch a wheel and and hit the deck. Um, and it's no different in, in hunting. You know, if you're getting tired, you're probably more likely to be looking at your feet, and then um and maybe the trophy of your lifetime, um, which was just standing there looking at you, uh, you know, dances away and and you've lost that opportunity. So, um, you know, if you're fit, you're you're more likely to be on your game. And, uh, and more successful. You've touched on something that I was having a discussion with someone about, a prominent New Zealand hunter about, very recently, and that was fatigue and judgment. And they were actually talking about, they believe that older hunters, and that which were much older hunters, ha- suffer fatigue a lot quicker, and he believed that that had, or was a contributing factor to some of the bad judgment calls that hunters have been making, or older hunters have been making. I'm not mm. sure. I'm asking you. No. He, he was just using that as, as one contrib- contributing factor. But does being tired in a hunting situation affect your judgment a lot? Um, well, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily put it down to, um, to age. I mean, um, you know... I, 
I, I, I, I see some extremely fit older guys around. Mm. Um, I agree. You know, in the aging demographic, you see some you see some superheroes out there, mate. No, yeah. absolutely powerful. Oh, you've only got so to watch I, I would, the end of Iron Man. Yeah, well, that, that's right. Um, you know, look at Cameron Brown, right? Mm. But it's it's um, yeah. So I don't think it would be age. I, you know, the one the one thing that I I I can certainly vouch for is um, people who don't know the difference between fuel and muscle fatigue. Um, and and so so yeah, age. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't necessarily run with that. But in terms of uh, Fuel, you know, fueling your body, having the right nutrition, the right carbohydrates um, in you, so that you've got the right octane, the right petrol in you, so that you can keep going. Um, and knowing the difference between the two, because a lot of people will will um, will start to fade and put it down to a lack of fitness or just fatigue, but actually um, their fuel gauge is almost on empty, um, and you fill them up again, and away they go. Um, so it's kind of understanding your body and how your body works. That, that's probably more of something that, that, that you know that, that I can vouch for. Okay, I, I want to explore the fuel thing with you in just a moment. But do you, you talk about tired drivers making bad judgment calls? Yeah, yeah. I, do you think, and, I, and I'm not trying to corner you this, I'm just asking an opinion, do you think mm-hmm. that hunters, when they're tired, do the same or are capable of the same? No, you know... Um, uh, I don't know. I've never really thought of it in that sense, and I've been very tired. And I look. I guess. I guess when it comes to, to tiredness, right, we, we can all make errors mm. um, of judgment uh, right across the board, right? Um, whether it's uh, whether it's uh, the, the takeaway that you decided to buy because you're so tired and you, you eat it and you regret it, or maybe the or <laughs> yeah. maybe the woman that you go out with and you think actually that was a bad judgment call. You know, you, you're tired. <laughs> Who knows? But one one one, one thing. One thing I, 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 that, that did strike me as very interesting is, um, is uh, David Benzel from New Zealand Outdoor Magazine. Um, he, he made a really interesting comment, and, and, I, and I, it, it really resonated with me. And that was a thing called um, scenario fulfillment of more. So rather than the, the tiredness, was more of a bad judgment if you if you're kind of going down the angle of um, you know uh, people uh, shooting people. Um, which is which is just a horrendous thing, right? Mm-hmm. In our sport, and it happens occasionally, and it's very regretful. But um, uh, yeah, David made the made the comment in, in a safety issue of the magazine, and it was it was actually an excellent edition of the magazine. Well, I, I, I've got it, it a, in front of me here somewhere. Yeah. It's a humdinger. I, I think mm-hmm. anybody can learn some stuff out of that, um, including all us old hunters. But the scenario fulfillment was interesting because um, Stephen, if if you ask me, and, and and you're welcome to, Gary, could you ever shoot anybody? Um, you, I, I would ask any anybody who's who's willing to be honest to say no, mm. um, because um, if if you from in my um, uh, example that's a higher fulfillment that that's that's something that that really worries me mm. because um, you, you've got you know I've got thirty five um, years of of um, hunting all around the country. And yeah, you, you can piece together all sorts of things um, that could make up an animal. And uh, man, that's a real worry. Um, so I, I guess the thing is, is, is um, you know, um, you know, having uh, having that, in, you know, being informed and thinking about those things, and, and making sure that you really are identifying your target, and making sure that things like scenario fulfilment don't kick in, um, 
you know, they, they, they make you stop and think, you know. Oh, absolutely. Do you think that has something to do with the, that a good percentage, and I don't have the stats in front of me before the keyboard warriors start going at me, but a good percentage of these accidents or these tragedies or whatever you'd like to call them are happening with experienced hunters? Yeah, well, that's probably where that, that, that whole scenario of mm. performance and and then the, then the other um, part of the psychology was you know, the confirmation bias and actually trying to break that, that thought pattern kicks in. Um, you know, look, look, you know, there, that was some science, uh, some science uh, that had come up for the rationale for why experienced hunters are, um, you know, seem to be um, uh, being highlighted as the people, you know, doing these things. And and but outside of that, look, I I, I really don't know. It's it's if anybody knew, mate, um, you know, hey, uh, they'd get a gold medal, wouldn't they? Mm. And look, it's something we've all got to be diligent and we've all got to be mindful about, don't we? You can't. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you're right. Saying that I couldn't do it is is, pro, is fault one, possibly. Yeah. 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 Hey, look, I want to go back to this fuel thing. So here's me. I'm, I'm about to embark on, say, say a, a four-day hunt. Typical New Zealand hunt. We're going out on a, on a Friday. We're coming back Tuesday. Do I, how do I how do I manage my intake or my fuel intake for that? Well, I guess you know, you, you, especially uh, so if you're going to go for a hunt, um, and uh, there's a number of things you know, contributing factors that that I kind of consider. Um, certainly, if I'm if I'm uh, offering suggestions for somebody who's who's um, who's you know, fitness again kicks in here, uh, Stephen, because you know I've noticed that the, the less fit I am. Um, the more inefficient I am, the more inefficient my body is in processing um, processing fuel. Um, so I'll, I'm I'm heavier on gas when I'm unfit than when I'm fit. So you know if I'm down in Fiordland and I'm spending a couple of weeks down there, you know I'll I'll embark on quite a rigorous training campaign because not only does it make my enjoyment of the area a lot more, not only does it make it more safer, but actually um, I can actually run leaner um, down there so I don't have to carry as much. Um, so, so yeah, there, you know, there's a few things that I think about. But in terms of the way you, I consider fuel, is you just you've got to break it up. You got to you just do the logical stuff, Stephen. You know, you think, okay, um, how how hard am I going to be travelling? Um, and and you can kind of think about how many calories you're going to burn. But again, it's about knowing your own body and knowing how far you can go and knowing your limits, mm-hmm. and um, and not trying to kind of think you're some sort of he-man because you are going to need fuel and. How many breakfasts you gonna need? How much? How many snacks? How many lunches? And how many dinners? Um, so, and there's a lot of really good food out there. You know, that, the backcountry cuisine is is, is um, some stuff that um, you know uh, made in Chicago. They've been going for years, and that's a known product uh, for most hunters. And there's, you know, you can read on the back of the, the packet there how many calories they've got. You know, if you really want to get down to that level, um, but you're making sure that you've got food that you can eat. That, that you like and trying it before you go out because um, there's no point taking food out there that you haven't tried before, you know, like even some beehive um, and having some sort of reaction to it um, and then you're not being able to eat it. So, yeah, plan it. Uh, again, it comes down to the solid planning, Stephen. Um, how much food, you know, how many days, how many breakfasts do you need and, and what you can get away with. Um, you know, for me, I've been doing it for a while. I, I know that I can just, you know, I can get up, have a cup of coffee, um, a two-serve 
uh, backcountry cuisine, uh, yogurt muesli, which is one of my favourites. It's not a plug for the company, but hey, they make good stuff. And uh, and a ginger nut, mate, to dunk in my coffee, and I'm away. <laughs> and and that'll, that'll last me for quite a while until maybe a couple of, um, you know, uh, one square meals or something like that. You know, that's pretty good. And um, actually, the other thing, while we're talking about the whole fuel uh, thing, Stephen, is is um, hydration. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got my views on that if you'd like me to share those. Yeah, look, just very quickly, i tell you what. Backcountry food, Thai green curry. Have you tried it? Thai green curry? Yeah, I have to say, one of their best. Congratulations, backcountry food. This stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I, I haven't tried that one. Um, You've got to try it. Look, yeah, I'm not a big beef. fan I've heard, of yeah, classic food. beef curry's a goodie. Yeah, look, I'm, not a, you know. I'm not a big fan. I, I have it, I eat it. I, I and they do a great job, you know. Sign up for me. It's it, it's a it, it fills a need, but I damn near eat that Thai green curry at home. Yeah, right. It's pretty good. So next time you head down to a local hunting and fishing store or wherever to buy your backcountry food, give it a crack. Thai green curry. It's in the black bag, not the green bag. There you go, mate. There you go. And they didn't even pay me to say that. <laughs> Holy moly! Look, hydration is something that is interesting. And it's something I don't do well. What I tend to do is get out the old jet boil, make a cup of tea, a, a, a chunky man-sized tea, but I sit on that. But I, And I'm sure that's hydrating me, and it's great, and tea's got all sorts of good properties, I'm sure. But I don't feel like I get to the end of the day and I've drunk enough water. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, we hark back to where we started this conversation, where we touched on you know, a bit of cycling and... Um, you know, on a cycling, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm partially made a rod for my own back because, you know, I'd, I'd train myself to do a hundred mile on one bottle of water because that way I didn't have to, um, you know, worry about changing and also I didn't have to carry uh, another bottle uh, cage and another bottle on my bike. Um, so you know, so my, you know, on my poor old kidneys have uh, probably had a bit of a hard time. Yeah. But the other, the other thing I, I, I picked up a while ago too, and, and I think I'm suffering from this. Is that the older you get, um, you tend to lose uh, the sense of thirst, okay. which is an, yeah, it's an interesting thing because I I can go all day, and even at work, you know, my corporate job, um, and I'll stop at the end of the day and go, you know what, I I haven't had I haven't drinking a thing today, and uh, I might actually have like a tinge of a headache, mm. um, and. I'm, I'm, I don't feel thirsty, it's just, and that's why I don't drink. Hey, just, so just hills, a second, I wonder, because yep. I used to work in an office, probably very oh, yeah. similar to yours, air conditioned, you know, nice, nice facilities. I never got hot. Yep. Suit and tie got to the end of the, the day, yep. feeling like I didn't need to drink all day, but had the same thing, and I realised I was sitting at my desk not drinking. Maybe it's not an age sure. thing, maybe it's just a stupid air conditioned building thing. Oh no! no I, I think there is uh, there is some sort of hormone uh, as you get older that you lose. There is yep. there is some biology to it, yep. but it, it's um, the what, what I find myself doing, uh, Stephen in the hills, and even just this weekend gone. You know, I mean, I've, like I said, I've only just parked the car from the advanced uh, hunting course we ran, and um, and uh, I, I I inverted commas forced myself to drink. Mm. So when I when I come across a stream. Um, I'll just go, come on, Gary, you know, come on. The little man on my shoulder says, get down there, get some of that water in you, and I'll, and I'll fill myself back up, and away I go. Um, so I'm, and, and, I, and I, yep, I must confess, at the end of the day, I'm feeling a heck of a lot better. Mm. Um, but and, yeah. Gary, how much are you drinking? 
uh, uh, like when I'm in the hills? Or? Mm, yeah, particularly when you're in the hills. Yeah, like today it's been, um, uh, oddly enough, in Wellington it's been a, a scorching day. And, uh, and yeah, I went quite, I, I did quite a far, far and wide run with this um, uh, student that I was with. And I probably, oh, yeah, mate, I'm probably dehydrated as I, as I talk. Um, I probably drank, oh, I tried, mate, probably two litres of water. Yeah. Yeah. See, I would naturally drink more than that, and I still don't think I get enough. Yeah, yeah, so there you go, mate. I'm, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I probably am in a state of slight dehydration mm. yet again. Yeah, I try, <laughs> mate. I try. Yeah, but see, I, I take in, I take a generally a litre bottle, and that's my water. But then I'll probably have a litre of tea as well, and that, right. and then that night I'll probably have, a, you know, probably, yeah, probably three litres a day, but but mm. one of those litres will be tea. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the message is, isn't it, is, um, is uh, you know, for hunters, you know, if they're anything like me, uh, you know, and you're, you're sidling, you're going into guts, you're climbing up um, mm. waterfalls, you you go up scree slopes and you scraggle and you fall down and you you look across <laughs> another watershed and go, crikey, it looks good over there. So down you go again and you go into some horrible ravine and then some disgusting little gut. You climb back out again and you get going. Just um, when you get that opportunity to drink, um, guzzle all the stuff because you're still not taking in enough. Um, yeah, I'm trying, mate. But, uh, yeah, so hydration's a biggie. And, and you know, there's all sorts of, um, you know, isotonic stuff you can take as well. You know, I, I haven't augmented my drinking with that yet. But, you know, on the bike, I'd, I'd pop one of those, um, you know, um, little you know, isotonic tablets in my uh, in my drink to kind of get my salts up as well. But historically, I, I've never really had much of a problem with cramp. So, yeah. I, I don't really get the cramp thing. Do you think no, that... Because I've been doing a bit of reading on hydration because I've oh, always yeah. felt like I don't get enough and I'm no expert. But I, I, there's sort of a school of thought that you can drink too much as well, isn't there? True, there is. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. And I, I think, um, you know, actually and one of my favourite foods when I come out of the bush is always a packet of chippies because, um, you know, you, you, you tend to be hanging out for salt, don't you? Uh-huh. Um, you know, like, you know, stopping off at the fish and chip shop on the way home is... is uh, is uh, quite desirable because your body's obviously, you know, um, you know, really wanting that stuff in you. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> so there you go, mate. Um, yeah, water, fuel, muscle fatigue, and uh, and fitness. So they're all good things to be uh, to keep yourself informed with, mate. So you enjoy yourself in the hills and and, and enjoy it safely. Now, I've heard, or I pray tell, that you're a very keen member of the New Zealand Deer Stalkers Association, and you've just come out of the hills. After taking some students, uh, I'm sure that's what you call them, or or, or student hunters out for some yeah. experience. First of all, that must be a real buzz. <clears throat> yeah, that's good. I mean, the, the one really neat thing that the, the deer stalkers do, um, and the, the, the club I'm involved with. Yeah, you know, I don't know if I'm a real keen NZDA guy. I mean, I I don't even know how I got voted onto the committee, to be honest. But um, <laughs> uh, ge- yeah. generally, you're not there when they vote. Yeah, I think that's how it happened. Actually, I think somebody played a practical joke on me. <clears throat> but um, yeah, you know, um, yeah, I'm I'm a part of the Hutt Valley, and and it's a really cool cool setup. Is it? You know, like like everyone, like everybody, I'd like I'd like to think, um, you know, there's just great people everywhere. And mate, there's some people in the club that they just chuck in so much time. It's incredible. Um, but, but by far the largest and the most um, valuable thing I think that NZDA is responsible for is um, is hunter training and um, 
we did the you know our club ran ran the the basic course which goes over a period of uh, I think it's about five uh, consecutive weekends. Um, that finished uh, a fortnight ago um, for, with a with a with a hunt uh, where the guys you know shot and butchered um, you know a, a few goats each, and then um, and then that what we do after that is we run the advanced uh, course which is one on one for um, for two of the um, previous years. Um, uh, course graduates, let's, let's call it that, and um, and by that stage, you see these guys have have been out on their own, and and um, and then all they really want to do is just hang out with somebody a bit more experienced, um, just to see what they, you know, how they do it, and and what gear they use, and all those kind of things, you know, and and yeah, it, it was it was great going out with one of these chaps. I I hooked up with them. We fly camped for um, overnight, and um, um, and we had a ball. Yeah. Do you think that the NZDA, how do I put this? The NZDA, I think, is at their core is about hunter education. And I wonder sometimes how the the public perceive them. You know, I think that they, they like to think that, and I'd like to, and I know that. I, I mean, exactly what you've just said, that the NZDA is, is, is certainly about being advocates for hunters, but also about getting new hunters into the sport. Is the perception out there the same? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's probably like any, any uh, you know, if, if I consider NGDA as a business, you know, every business is trying to market itself out there and um, and push themselves forward. I mean, I'm also a member of the, the Mountain Safety Council, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and they, they're going through some hardship, and um, you know, and I know sadly they are, aren't they? Yeah, it is sad because uh, you know a whole lot of the trainers that 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 are and the guys that put in so much energy there again, fabulous people with so much experience, really good people. But um, you know, you're always trying to you know it's it, it, it's competitive out there and uh, and you know getting your your oh, crikey, I'm sounding like a, a standing like Steve too, getting your <laughs> brand recognised, you know, getting your product out there in the market, um, it's. Yeah, it's oh, come on! It? I spent the last ten years in radio, mate. I know. The... <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Let's let's, let's let's trash that blinkered corporate hullabaloo. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I I think uh, you know, like any organisation, like NDDA could do a heck of a lot better in getting themselves out there and and known. Uh, and there's a whole lot of other media channels they could do it. But I guess, like other organisations, you know, how much money have you got, and mm. how many resources can you leverage to? To, to get your message out there to people because, you know, you, you want, you know, really, in my view, um, you know, it's, for younger folk and old, um, hunting is a, is a fantastic recreation, you know. And uh, so, yeah, NZDA has got its challenge, and no doubt they know that, and, and they're working on it too. Oh, and, and, and they've done a great job for a very, very long time. It's a great brand, isn't it? I mean, um, you know... That uh, the NZDA and that logo, uh, it's a, it's. I'd like to think it's a, it's a fairly trusted brand. Um, you know, it's, it's well recognised and, and well respected. I'd like to see them partner with some other groups a bit more. Yeah, well, that's, that's probably a good idea. Um, you know, and and uh, and it may, maybe this is something. You know, it's, I've only, you know, I've only been to uh, one uh, of their annual conferences, um, so. Um, I, I can't vouch for whether subjects like this have been tabled, um, but they should be. Um, I honestly can't say whether they have or not, mate. Sorry, but 
Um, yeah, partnering, good idea. You know, why not? Let's um, not solve all the strength. world's problems right now, though. Nah, mate, nah, sorry. <laughs> oh, look, I brought it up. It's my fault. Look, one thing you are very, very passionate about, and that is hunting in their fiordland. Oh, yeah. What a stunning place, and what a unique experience that you can have down there. And I'm unfortunate I've never managed to get my name drawn out of the Wapiti ballot. Tell me a little bit more about your experience down there and and why you're so passionate about that area of the country. Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah, it's interesting, mate. I mean, <clears throat> this, this interview could kind of go on for hours now, um, <laughs> but it's it's I, I I think it's kind of like um, you know, I just like really testing myself, Stephen. You know, um, you know, you test yourself, you not, and you learn more about yourself. You test yourself, and the one thing about fjordland I found is every time I go down there without fail. Um, I get put, I get, I get slam dunk onto my bum. Um, you know, uh, some gear, the gear, the system that I use uh, will fail. Um, my ideas on uh, how to traverse the area, my hunt plan, something will fail. Um, I have, I have so, I have such a list of failures. I'm, I'm trying to kind of get down there so I can, um, <laughs> I can complete the perfect hunt and score the 50 inch bull of my dreams. But it hasn't happened yet, um, and it's probably like trying to take my best photograph. You know, it'll be something that I'll always keep trying to do, but um, uh, can't achieve. And and yeah, I've, I've hunted um, most of New Zealand, I suppose. Well, you know, a large chunk of it anyway. And uh, yeah, mate, there is something about the Orland, whether it's you know it's tempestuous, it's nasty, it's moody, it's uh, it's an irritable place. It doesn't want you in there. Um, it, you, you walk in and it's almost like it frowns, uh, and then it rains, and then, and then it'll try and flood you out. And and, you, and it's it's it, it's uh, it's survival uh, when you go down there. You know, you, you don't just go down there to hunt. You go down there to damn well survive. If you if you pick up a bull whoppity, well, good on you. Uh, it's a bonus. And um, and if you come out there, you know, with your friends and your friendship's still intact, well. Um, you've done well too. So it, so it challenges everything about you. You know your personality, um, your, 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 the relationship with your mates. It tests your gear, it tests your fitness, and it tests your preparation. I bet. And, and tell us a bit more about what, how do you prepare for the for Fiordland? There's a lot of aspiring hunters that want to get down there. What, yeah, what, well, what I mean, do you do? I've, I've First time. Few, yeah, I've written a few articles. Um, you know, because I, I just. And you know, all the articles I write, you know, there's there's no payment involved. It's just passion. And when I write some of the stuff, um, you know, if they want to, if uh, NZ Outdoor Hunting want to print it, well, then then great. Um, you know, and I love it. It's, I, it's just passion that drives my pen. Um, and uh, you know, if if and I've written some stuff about how to get round. And and uh, funny enough, you know, I, I did get some emails back from some people who um, thought that I was letting out some trade secrets on Fiordland. I mean, mate, if if, if I can help somebody, um, you know, go down the true right instead of the true left of the river, and if they went down the wrong side, that'll ruin their, their whole trip. Well, wh- why not tell them which side of the river to go down? Um, but yeah, so so um, I'm just by the way, you know, I can I, I'm more than happy to continue to help people just to know the ballot system, um, some of the names down there of of how to, and some of those blocks, you know, the, the blocks that. That, that that I've been on, um, that I, I like, um, 
But in terms of preparation, again, you know, you talk about food, so you've got to plan it all out, how much tucker you need, um, and then well in advance, uh, and I see a lot of guys, you know, on blogs talking about their fitness regimes. Um, so I think that's, most people know that because it's, it's pretty steep down there. Mm. Um, and, you, you know, and, I, and certainly in the Glaze Not Wilderness area, you know, it's a, it's a no chopper zone. So, you know, you, it's, it's Shanks Pony all the way and you've got to carry a pack. And it's hard, you know, when you're in there for 10 days to get your pack under 30 kgs. So, um, you know, she's a fair weight and it's a fair hike um, to, to, to do it. So, yeah, fitness, um, planning and, um, uh, and asking people, mate. I don't think I've met any... Body in the either the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation or or hunters that have been down there that uh, aren't happy to share information, uh, Stephen. And there's some great people involved in that organisation, isn't there? The Fjordland Wapiti Foundation, Roy, uh, the team down there, they've done something there that that that's kind of new for New Zealand, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is. Um, yeah, no, I I think it's tremendous. Um, and uh, and and funny enough, um, the the uh, the model that they've operated on down there really resonated with with me, and has really really resonated with our club. Um, you know, we we've we've set up um, uh, even local um, and really really collaborative, positive, um, constructive stuff uh, discussions with um, our local uh, Department of Conservation branch up here. You know, because I I think you know the, 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 this old thing of you know them and us between hunters and the department. You know who look after uh, all of these parks. Uh, that that's rubbish. It's it's lunacy. And uh, when you sit down and have a chat and realise, you know, the the, the, the positive outcomes that of, of having both organisations uh, sitting across the table, um, you know, really talking to each other is is fantastic. You know, we can help them and and they can help us. Um, and yeah, the fuel and uh, what how, how you know what's happened down south is a shining example of that. I want to talk to you a bit more about this relationship between hunters and doc. Because we can sit here and say how fabulous it can be, or we like. Yep. Yep. But the truth is, it's fragmented, isn't it? Yeah, it is fragmented. Um, and I, I think, but I think there's, it's probably like anything, uh, Stephen, uh, there's always two sides to every story. And, and I think you could probably say, well, as you talked about before, what's, what are, what are, what are, you know, if you're saying, well, Doc's fragmented, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, I have seen examples of that fragmentation. I think I mean more of the, the, there's fragmented between hunters and the Department of Conservation. Um, yeah, well, that's right. You know, it's, it, it's a matter of um, uh, getting organised, mm. you know, and, and you know, like, like I said, our club is, um, has got a, a, a brief thing going with the local um, department up here, and it's, and it's working really, really well. And it's just because um, we've, we're transparent and we're organised. Um, and and if that transparency continues, uh, and the spirit of that a relationship con- continues, and there's no reason why it shouldn't, um, then it's all good. But it's really about um, staying organised, really. And from a hunter's perspective, yeah, um, you know, getting together and getting a common voice and uh, and channeling that through in a um, in a meaningful way. I've always thought that there's there's more parties involved in these discussions. I've always wanted to see around a, a meeting around some sort of table, and I wanted to see a representative a re- representative of hunters. I wanted to see a representative of local iwi, the Department of Conservation, local government, and national government. 
And I, I wanted to see that in regionally as well, you know, for me, Central North Island, Iwi, the Department of Conservation, local government, central government, and hunters. And that's the conversation that needs to happen. And I'm yet to see it on that level. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it either. And you did right. Um, it's, you know, again, it's about, it's about getting it. I mean, it, you know, I, I think some of those um, um, points that you raised are, 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 are pillars of where the Game Animal Council, you know, wants to operate around. Um, but you know that's still that's still in its infancy, right? So, you know, um, yeah, the jury's out. But at the moment, um, yeah, I, I haven't seen I haven't seen a kind of consolidated effort like that. And and really, I, I guess, um, you know, what all I'm trying, and I, I think other branches are as well, is is um, you know, right? If if something big's not going to happen, well, rather than waiting for something big and um, and hairy and audacious like you're talking about. Is, um, rather than waiting for that to happen, let's just do something locally ourselves um, um, and just get it and, and show by example. You know? But do you think even on a local level that the that meeting I'm just talking about can take place? So your local Deer Stalkers Association with some local yep. iwi, Department of Conservation, a representative from local and, and national government, imagine what you could achieve. First yeah, of all, the yeah. meeting itself would be monumental. But then going forward, the the results or the the sum of that meeting would be incredible, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it would be. It's um, I guess it just takes a, a, a central a central body to to um, to crank it up. You who know, does because that? you know what's that? Who's who does that? Who coordinates it? Or who should? Well, that's right. You know, I mean, may, maybe this is a task. Maybe this is a role that uh, that the deer stalkers could step up to. You know, mm. and say, okay, um, we want to uh, convene such a session. Uh, why not? Um, because you know, because I, I don't know if government will. Um, I, I can't see that happening. Um, You've got some good people in, in central government, though, even the likes of uh, Peter Dunn, who, and we're not going to get into politics for this interview, yeah. but there's some of these guys like him that they're, that are advocating for hunters on some level. Surely they'd turn up. Yeah, but I guess those guys, you know, from a political angle, that they'd probably be looking at what's their return going to be. Um, you know, how many voters out of the voting pool do they think that they're going to uh, attract from this? You know, there's a, there's a lot of work that has to go on to make such a session that you're talking about happen. And uh, really, uh, is that is that the best place for them to be putting their energy uh, rather than kissing babies, you know? I think we should make it the best place for them to put their energy. Yeah, well... Well, that, maybe right. chucking around the old iwi and dock words could get them there. I don't know. I mean, it sounds sounds like a you know it's a good aspiration, Stephen. Um, I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to think about it, mate. Shit, I, mate, I'd, I'd turn up to that meeting. Yeah. Well, why don't you why don't you why don't you organise it, mate? Well, that, I know, and that's what I'm sitting there doing. I'm thinking, I'm actually thinking, well, where could I have it, and who could I invite, mm. and what could the outcome be? Oh gosh, I could I could sit here and scribble off about three pages of outcomes. Yeah, I mean, you've got me thinking. I mean, I I, I might raise it at my uh, the next um, meeting I have with the department down here locally. Um, well, let me know how it goes. Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd be curious to know how it goes for you, Gary. <laughs> we've gone a little bit off track and I like it. I like I like where you're heading. I wanted to talk to you about, you, you've been hunting for a long time in New Zealand. How have you seen our sport or our craft evolve from the meat hunting days? And I, I you know, I know that maybe you don't go quite that, back that far, but the meat hunting days through to now, how have we changed? Yeah, well, I think we've become, um, you know, and, and, you know, crikey, there's guys like me that write test reports on equipment, um, you know, NZ Outdoor, uh, 
does a lot of work in that space where you know new stuff on the market turns up and they uh, they put it through the riggers and they give it to me and I have a habit of breaking stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so <laughs> but um and it's it's become a lot more technical. Um, um and I, I think a lot more there's a lot there's a lot more information out there. So so hunters are a lot more informed. Um, I mean my brother he was a he was a deer color. Um, so you know. He, he, I learned a lot from him, um, you know, tracing around the bush, uh, chasing after him as he was chasing tails. Um, and, you know, those were the swan dry type days, right? And, you know, all I carried then was um, a, a little canvas pouch on my belt with a bit of ammo and a mora bar. Uh, now I've got, uh, you know, I've got PLB, I've got a GPS, um, it's got a radio in it. I've got all this equipment. So, yeah, I'm a lot more safer. I can stay out at night. I've got a little kit there that I can, a little cocoon I can dive into. Um, so I think it's got a lot more technical, um, the, you know, the, the, the equipment that we take. Uh, certainly the, the hunting aspect of it hasn't changed and the beauty of it hasn't changed. Um, you know, and the reason why we go out and we love stalking animals hasn't changed. Um, you know, the guys that stick out in the sport are the guys that just love being out there in the bush. Uh, you know, uh, shooting, a, shooting a deer, um, yeah, that's a bonus. Um, but just sitting sitting there on the top of a slip or, um, you know, at the, the giddy heights of some mountain in Fjordland and just looking over the towering snowy cats uh, and maybe hearing the, the, the you know, the, the haunting, blinking um, bellow of a bull whoppity way down in a valley and you just sit there with a smile on your chops. Um, it's fantastic. So none of that's changed. Uh, those meat hunters, they'll, they'll still they'll recount the, the deer that they've shot, but probably more just the experience of being out there. So that hasn't changed. I, I always think it's more of the gear, the equipment, and uh, and certainly the, the GPS technology is fantastic, mm. and certainly the safety as well. You know, I mean, you know, there's, there's no reason why anybody shouldn't have a PLB now. Oh, there's no excuse, is there? I don't think so. Yeah, I, you know, I, you know, if, um, you know, from a uh, search and rescue perspective, uh, if somebody lets one off, and I think just that everybody I've ever known that with a PLB, mate, that you don't want. Nobody wants to bring attention to themselves, so it is a device that just sits here as a as an absolute emergency. But if it goes off um, and you're in trouble, well, the search and rescue guys are going to be a lot more happier to come and get you than trying to search for you when somebody says that you're injured up there somewhere. Um, and you think, crikey, for a little bit of technology, you could make our job a lot safer and a lot more efficient. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Finally, before we we kick this off, because we've been gas bagging for a good forty minutes here, what? Well, I know we're good at it. You've done a good job, mate. You've got to have one story, one one time, one experience in the last thirty five years that stands out for you. Ooh, okay, yeah, um, wow. Oh, mate, that's tough. Um, so a, a hunting story. A hunting yeah, well, preferably. It's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about uh, a good one? What's a good laugh? Come on, give me a story that you think of. What's the first thing that came to mind? Uh, actually, um, oh, God, so many. Oh, well, one of the one of the one of the ones actually fuel land. You know, you talked about fuel land. Probably the, the first the first the first trip I went down to fuel land. Right, I went into one of the the outer buffer blocks. Um, so that's outside of the Glaze Not Wounds area, and and. Um, and it was a really, really cool trip, and I, I got into all sorts of trouble. Um, my cobbler and I, we, we uh, you know, we were fresh to field land. We just entered every, we just entered every single block that existed on the place. We got this block, and we were, we were happy as Larry. Um, 
And man, I oh man, did we get into trouble? We we hadn't done our research, we properly. Um, I thought I had a good idea on how to get off this uh, this um, this mountain top that the chopper had thrown us on. Um, we 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 got a couple of reds, but we never ever heard a whoppity bull a bull whoppity uh, bugle. And so I'd kind of been to this magnificent place called Fuelland, and and um, didn't hear the thing. And um, and yeah, on the way down, we got ourselves bluffed. Uh, we were stuck po- upon this precipice for a couple of nights, uh, trying to figure out how to get down this this massive cliff face. It was an absolute disaster. Um, but still, it, it, I remember that vividly. And then straight after that, next year, um, we were lucky enough to to uh, uh, get a, uh, a draw, and it was an absolute winner. Um, I got up a glaze knot, and um, and I was fizzing. I was absolutely fizzing, eh? And I. And my friend and I, we um, we trained ourselves to an absolute frazzle, and uh, we roared up to Rock Div um, first day, and we were just like, we were just grinning from ear to ear, and then we zoomed up to um, Edith's saddle, and um, when we got to Rock Div that night, sort of beforehand, is uh, we, we got a, a storm came through, and then it started snowing, right, and it was an absolute blizzard, and we were freezing under Rock Div. Rock Div is you've probably heard about it; it's just an overhanging rock, um, steeped in history. And um, anyway, it's just sleeping out with snow and it's dead cold. Next morning, it dawned okay, so we, we, we got up to um, Edith's saddle. And the, the, the part of the story, which, which and this is the part which really hooked me on Fjordland, was there we are, we're, we're up there. It's, it's uh, I don't know what it was, probably minus five, minus ten or some damn thing, but it was, it was pretty cold and it was a, quite a stiff breeze blowing. And um, we kind of started trotting onto the tops and, and there was all these fresh... Um, hoof marks in the snow and, and mud splattered on the snow and it's like, well, hang on a minute, it's just only finished snowing and there's fresh mud on it. And then all of a sudden the light bulb went off and it's like, Gary, there's a deer just in front of you, go for it. So I kind of went pounding after this thing with my cobber and toe and uh, I could see the hoof prints going up over the top of this knoll and, uh, you know, running through snow is hard at any time but we had, the, so fortunately we drew upon the fitness regime that we had and and anyway, we got to the top of this thing and looked down, and, and there he was, eh? Um, about 350 yards away was this massive bull, and he was just standing there looking over his shoulder and his rack. The rack tips were almost touching his bum. And uh, and I, I was, I'm just a bush pig bush hunter, right? And uh, 350 yards was far further than I'd want to throw my 308 pumpkin chucker. And... Uh, and I just looked at this thing, and it was just unbelievable, you know, just seeing this this, this fantastic animal just looking at, over his shoulder at us, kind of saying, you're on my turf now. Um, what are you doing here? And just quietly um, make sure you clean up before you leave, you know. And <laughs> and then he just trotted away and and just disappeared down a, a gut, and I never saw him again. And uh, man, oh man, um, yeah, that oh, I'll take that that sight to my grave, mate. Mm. Gary, it's been an absolute pleasure. Let's let's get you back on the show again. I say that quite honestly. You've been interesting, and I've written down about ten other things I wanted to talk to you about. And we you didn't even s- talk about photography, man. I love it. I know, and we're going to get to that. Story to talk about how to take a photograph, bro. And I think we should do that. Let's do a show in the future about photography or taking photos or effective photos of animals you need to know that my wife will listen to that show because she's a photographer (laughs) journalist and if i say we're going to talk about photography she's going to pick it to pieces and love every minute and and i know you're up for that challenge i can hear it in your voice 
but you've been a pleasure and we will do it again. And, and again, thank you. Thank you so much for taking your time out on a very tired night. You've just come out of the hills uh, to talk to me. Yeah, it's great, mate. I've really enjoyed it, Stephen. And yeah, I might go and make myself a cup of tea. I haven't had dinner yet, mate. So um, what is the time? It's getting on. Yeah, that's uh, a late but, dinner. Uh, no, it's, it's a pleasure, mate. It's always great talking about something I'm, um, I'm so passionate about, mate. And that's, that's what we live for, mate. Passion. Good. And on that note, remember you can win. And of course, you do some writing for NZ Outdoor Magazine, but you can win a great 12-month subscription to NZ Outdoor Magazine. And all you've got to do is be active with this show. Uh, post on Facebook, send me emails, give me feedback. We've got a cool little toy that we uh, plug into Facebook, Twitter, and to our email system, and we can see who's the most active, and you could win that great 12-month subscription. Again, thanks very much, Gary. And guys, be careful out there, and good hunting. Broadcasting from an undisclosed location, from a secret hunting spot known only to him and the guy who told him about it, and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics.